Last evening, when I sent you the preparatory email for today's services, and Charlie, I thank you, for 15 years ago, Amen. suggesting that I send the church an email on Saturdays so they would know what to be thinking about and preparing for on Saturday nights. We had started two years before that to make Saturday nights part of Sunday by preparing us so that we came here, we were ready to worship the Lord, and you added that element, and 15 years times 52 is somewhere around 780 uh, preparatory emails you've received. And each one, the Lord leads me to try to put it in perspective what we want to accomplish the next day. Now the assignment, the suggested reading, was pick any psalm. Now if you picked any psalm, you had about a two-thirds probability of arriving on a psalm that wasn't personal. And that was for you to find out and discover that there's a difference in the psalms. For you to find out the ones where David is teaching something, David's prophesying of something, David's recording the history of Israel, but he's not describing his personal relationship with, the God, with God or his love of God, his praise to God. And you were, I wanted you to find that without me telling you that you were going to run into a little difficulty. Maybe. You, but I gave you seven examples, and I said there's many more. And we, Psalm 23, lay the first words on me. The Lord is whose shepherd? My shepherd. Do you remember anyone in this church that was responsible to get in this pulpit and give us a psalm that couldn't get past that first clause? Thank you, Zach. Nathan, the Lord is my shepherd. Who shall not want? I shall not want. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. That is a personal psalm. Austin Handel has a project, and he's got 36 hours to finish it. 48. He's going to have a list of those personal psalms for you. We've discussed that at break time. And so that you can see the psalm, psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. When my father and my mother forsake, the Lord will take me up. That is a personal psalm. All the psalms are valuable but for what we're studying right now, we want the personal psalms because we want to get inside David to see how he relates to God so that we can have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. In our first service, the trait of David that we want to learn and adopt, number 53, I'm reviewing, was he loved God's beauty. Much could be said, I said a little. Number 54, David loved sound doctrine. Number 55, his conscience was sensitive. Number 56, he craved God's spirit because he had seen that spirit taken away from Saul. Number 57, he honored his parents. And we, by God's providential arrangement that is broader than you even know, had us hear James Ballinger's testimony a little while ago. We now come to number 58. Trait number 58, he was a good leader as king, are the four words for your list. Good leader as king. David was a good leader, and we want to be good leaders in 
the spheres and realms of authority and positions of leadership that God's given us. God wrote of David as a wonderful leader for Israel. He was the man after God's own heart. And the New Testament adds these words, who shall fulfill all my will, because he would be a good leader. Look at Psalm 78. In the book of Psalms, where we learn so much about this man after God's own heart that we want to learn about so that we might be more like him. Remember the reason why the emphasis on David for the last number of weeks is because God emphasizes David. God chose David to be the one that he would tell us far more about and let us know his thoughts than anyone else in the Bible, including our Lord. You don't know how our Lord thought because the Bible doesn't tell us. You have just a few little glimpses in, like John 17, where we have the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have 150 of those of David. And David was a sinner like us so that we can relate to his humble approach to a God that he could say, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, no man can stand. And he included himself. And, and we can learn very much from this emphasis that God's given us. Last night with Sherry, the things I say to you, they're very real to me, they're real to us. This is a divine library that we get to enter into when we open this book. It is a divine library of 66 books, and we go along those shelves, and there is philosophy. Give me a book. Ecclesiastes. You know, there's history, like Genesis, that goes all the way back to the creation of the world. That's what a history book that is. There is doctrinal, didactic, controversial writings like the book of Hebrews. There's apocalyptic literature. There's Proverbs. And there's poetry. There's Psalms. And we can pull that book off and be inside David and have David putting down his passions his temptations, his weaknesses, his fears, his hopes, praise, prayer, thanksgiving. It's all there. He was a good leader. Psalm 78, verse 70. Psalm 78 and verse 70. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. Verse 71. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. David was a great leader of his people. We want to be like that. He understood. David understood that civil rulers were foundational pillars of society. Look at Psalm 11. There is political science, not only in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but also in the book of Psalms. Both you know, those three books were written by two kings, David and his son. Psalm 11, some of these verses are precious, and you should put great confidence in them when you look at the turmoil of our government at times and the turmoil of other governments, that there's a God in charge, and the men we want to pray for and the men we want to be in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our place of employments, we want to be good leaders because they're the foundations for things working well. Psalm 11 and verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, 
What can the righteous do? When rulers are destroyed, corrupted, distracted, what can the righteous do? Because government turns against them instead of being their defender. Much more can be said in the text and its context, but not now. Look at Psalm 75, a cross-reference to Psalm 11.3. Psalm 75, we're talking about government right now and ruling and being a good leader. David was a good leader as king. Psalm 75 and verse 2. When I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. Young men, when you get married, you shouldn't be thinking about just the marriage bed. You should be making a commit. See, David wasn't just thinking about the palace. David was thinking about what he was going to be like as a king. And when you get married, you should be thinking about how you're going to conduct yourself as a husband. And you should be making your mind up about that in advance. Like this right here. When I shall receive the congregation, I'm going to enjoy all the benefits and perks of being king and having the power to tax the nation for my pleasure. That sounds like a husband that's only thinking about the marriage bed. When I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it. Selah. What government came in front of David's? Saul's. What was Saul's characterized like? The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it. I have to support righteousness. I have to enforce righteousness, and I'll do it when I receive the congregation and you complete the transfer from the family of Saul to me, I will judge uprightly. David was that way. Look at his commitment. This is the character that we want. This, these are the traits we want. We're responsible to God for those entrusted to our care. Husbands, that wife isn't yours. That wife is God's. It's his daughter. She's his daughter. How are you going to take care of her? Those children, they're not your children. They're his. How are you going to lead them? Like, we want this attitude right here. Amen. This is a good statement for us to have. Look over a few pages to Psalm 82. Psalm 82, we have another similar statement. When you're thinking about political science and leadership, these are great verses. I bear up the pillars of it because it's government that supports society. When government fails at the top, Solomon called it an evil disease that proceeds from the ruler. But when the ruler has his act together, it permeates all the way down. When a father and a husband has his act together in the home, it permeates the family. Psalm 82 and verse 5. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. This is David describing poor government. You say, how do you know that? Look at the first verse. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. And that isn't Baal and Ashtaroth. That's civil rulers. 
that God was standing among and judging among. And look at David pointing out their weaknesses, their faults. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Verse 2, Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. That's what government is supposed to do. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not. Neither will they understand. And we could say more about that, but we're going to leave it in God's hands. Instead of applying these words directly to certain offices in our nation, we don't need to do that. The Lord can do it. God said this in verse 6, I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, speaking of civil rulers, but ye shall die like men. David wasn't like that. David was a good ruler. He wrote excellent advice for kings and pastors in several psalms, like Psalm 2, 75, 101, which I've taught to you very carefully, and 144, which was mentioned very recently as a theme psalm of our church. He gave excellent advice for Solomon. If you look at the chapters of him conveying to Solomon his wisdom and desire for the kingdom of Israel after his death. He ended his life with a great description of a perfect ruler. The Bible identifies the last words of David in 2 Samuel 23 as he describes the perfect ruler and he has to say, although my house be not so with God, speaking of his messed up polygamous family and all of his rebellious wild children, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. It's not going to include my whole family tree, but it's going to include enough that my son that's going to be my Lord, Jesus Christ, will sit on my throne and it's my kingdom and it's my throne that we will be preserved forever as the Lord had told him. All other kings throughout the Old Testament are compared to the high standard of David. They all have to see how they measure up to David and the Bible uses that comparison a number of times. Men, are you benevolent? faithful, and merciful in all the positions of authority you may have. Benevolent, faithful, merciful. Let's just pick three. Trait number 59. No compromise with sinners. David did not compromise with sinners. David sinned. David confessed his sins. God forgave him. But he wouldn't compromise with sinners. He wasn't, remember, I think I shocked some of you a week or two ago when I had the trait, his overall rule of women. He managed women in his life far better than Solomon. And I use that as the comparison. No woman turned David's heart against the Lord. Solomon had a heart that was like water for a woman and women and outlandish women, and pagan women, and worshipers of Molech, and other gods, to turn him away from the living and true God, so that he would build temples and altars to those false gods? Nothing like that happened to David. And so this point is expanded to men, not just the women. No compromise with sinners. He was intensely committed. The four words are no compromise with sinners. David was intensely committed against compromise of evil men. And he wrote about it in various places. Look at Psalm 97 and verse 10. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. 
Psalm 97.10. Yes, David. Yes, Lord. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 97 and 10. Look at 101, and this is the best chapter on this subject. And I've already mentioned it on the previous subject of being a good leader. Psalm 101 is David's commitment of how he would conduct himself in his heart, in his house, and as a king. 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. What kind of television and internet usage did David have? I just gave you a clause. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. There's a reason God loved David. There's a reason God delighted in David. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of Hollywood that turns aside. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me, meaning stick to me, touch me or be attached to me. I will get rid of it and push it away. This whole chapter, it's short. There's a slide presentation on our website. These are wonderful verses of commitment of how he would conduct himself. Since I said, in his heart, in his house, and in his kingdom, let me show you. Verse 2, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. That's David. Are we all committed to that? I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Every part of my life that the Word of God addresses, I will manage it perfectly. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will not let outside influences affect me. And that's the point we're making. No compromise with sinners. And he goes on and describes in verses 4 and 5 about how he will cut off certain character traits from working for him or being around him. He then explains in verse 6 the kind of character he's looking for. Then in verses 7 and 8, he recommits himself to those character traits that he's going to destroy to keep the city of God pure from evildoers. He was not a compromiser. He wasn't like Jehoshaphat messing around with Ahab. Jehoshaphat was, was horribly harmed by messing around with Ahab. Not David. David was a virtuous king and a good leader, and he wouldn't compromise with sinners. You say, but he allowed Joab to live when he could manage Joab. When he knew that his tender son was going to be king, and Joab was the way he was, what advice did he have for Solomon when he asked him over to his deathbed? Don't let his whore hairs go down to the grave in peace. Kill him. Kill your cousin. How about Shimei? David could manage Shimei, but he knew that Solomon was tender. Same advice. No compromise with sinners. He didn't care that Michael was his wife. He didn't care that Michael was his first love. He punished her for criticizing and ridiculing his worship of God in the streets when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into its resting place. No compromise with sinners. He wrote about loving the righteous and hating the wicked. Look at Psalm 15. Psalm 15, that wonderful psalm that should be used for invitations in Arminian churches. Because it answers the question, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? 
And it's a whole lot more than making a decision for Jesus. It's the character traits of the righteous. But I want you to notice this character trait that we're working on right now. He did not compromise with sinners. And so it says in verse 4 that a righteous man, the people that go to heaven, if you're going to be like David, in fact, in a broader category, if you're going to go to heaven, this is the character trait that should describe your life. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned. We condemn instinctively by looking at them, hearing about them, what they're doing, the vile persons of our society, we condemn them because they're wrong in the sight of God, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. That is making a distinction between people all the time. David wrote it in Psalm 15. This is one of David's character traits. He did not compromise with sinners. Number 60. Oh, that's got a new ring to it. Number 60 was friendly with friends. He knew how to be friendly. The Bible says, He that hath friends must show himself friendly. Solomon wrote that in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. David showed it. David fulfilled the rule of king's friends by Saul loving him, by Jonathan loving him, by other kings loving him. How do you gain the friendship and affection of a king? Proverbs 22, 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The four words for number 60, was friendly with friends. Because he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Or you don't have very many real friends. Facebook friends are not friends. Facebook friends are you flattering yourself and them flattering you so that you'll flatter them. It's just a big circle of flattery. It has no meaning except destruction. It's narcissism at its best in America in 2017. Real friends are those that would die for you, that love your company, that crave you, that want to serve you and help you and prepare you to meet Jesus Christ when he comes. That's a friend. How many of those are on Facebook? David fulfilled, I didn't condemn Facebook. I just condemned how it's used 99 plus percent of the time. You say, well, that's almost 100 percent. Yep, you got it. Good math. David fulfilled that verse. He that loveth pureness of heart, David had it, was a man after God's own heart. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. And that was fulfilled in David's life. Solomon wrote the verse, but Solomon knew that Saul loved David. Then Jonathan loved David. Then Michael loved David. Then Hiram loved David. I got to say this again, because this is how you should measure yourself at your place of employment. You should get along with as many people as you can. And if you can't, it's not because of the truth. It's because of you more than the truth. Because David could get along with lots of people and he didn't believe what they believed and they didn't believe what he believed. A few minutes ago, we had occasion to remember Proverbs 16, 7 that says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Did David fulfill that rule that his son Solomon wrote? 
Yes. I can't get over it. I'm sorry, i got to repeat myself. How in the world do you get 600 graduates, the studs, the football players, the best of Goliath High School to be David's bodyguards? They're called the Gittites. A Gittite is a citizen of Gath. He was called Goliath of Gath. How do you get 600 guys that went to high school and played football with Goliath? Would you like Goliath on the line? Okay. Would you like him as a defensive end? Would you have him play both sides? Offense and defense? Nine foot, nine inches tall. His spear had the shaft of a weaver's beam. Just pick up the quarterback by his helmet. Remember, his hand would have been big. Pop the helmet off or lift the whole guy up with his chin strap. 600 followed David. Well, no one likes me because of the truth. That isn't true. No one likes you because of the truth of you not being friendly. That's the truth that hurts the most, not the truth of God's word. David never, ver- David never left the word of God when he was living with, at Achish. Achish was a king of the Philistines, and there was David. What town was he the king of? Gath. What was the champion of Gath? Goliath. Who killed Goliath? David. Did that bother some of the other Philistines? Yes. Did it bother Achish? No. Achish thought of David like a son. And I'm saying all that. He was friendly and he had friends. He made friendships. He had a friendship with Jonathan. And Jonathan was not another 17-year-old standing there in Saul's court that saw a 17-year-old David standing before Saul with Goliath's head in one hand and Goliath's sword in the other. Jonathan was 20 to 25 years older than David. Jonathan was already leading a division of Saul's army before David was born. That is something that escapes people that don't know Bible chronology. Jonathan was likely 45 years old and David was 20 and loved him as his own soul and made a covenant with him. 45-year-old men that have the position of authority and the right last name to succeed to the throne do not love as their own soul the young kid that just killed Goliath and the whole nation is fawning after. How did it happen? Because he was gracious he that, I'm going to say it a third time. I'll never quote this verse too many times. He that loveth pureness of heart. Every thought that you have toward others is pure, good, gentle, merciful, benevolent, kind. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips. The king shall be his friend. Jonathan was his exceptional friend even past death because they had made a covenant of how they would take care of each other after death. He took care of Nabal's sheep and the elders of Judah. These are passages I could turn you to that if you know the life of David, you know. He was so fair in dealings with Philistines that they followed him. Even Hiram, the king of pagan and rich Tyre, the Bible says of him by the Holy Spirit, he was ever a lover of David. It's possible. It's possible. Whether Mephibosheth or Barzillai, David honored his friends. He understood that real friends involved submitting to their rebukes of sin. Final verse for this point, look at Psalm 141. 
You know much more could be said. I promised you and told you and trying to stick to it that will not be exhaustive in covering each point or I'll be preaching for three weeks on friendship. And I don't want to do that. I just want to remind you that David was friendly and you can't excuse yourself by saying, but I believe the truth and nobody likes me at work because I believe the truth. That has nothing to do with it. They don't like you because you're not likable. Get likable. They'll like you. You say, well, how do I get likable? Copy David. Learn these traits. But here's one of real friendship. David understood that real friends submit to each other's rebuke for sins in their lives. You've heard this verse before, but did you know David wrote it? And I want you to think about David writing it. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Now, wait a minute. David was king. What are you going to do, walk up and smack the king? What did David say about walking up and smacking the king? Let the righteous smite me. If a righteous man sees something in me and I need to be smitten for it, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. I will pray for the man that's bold enough and loving enough and friendly enough to come up and slap me around a little bit and tell me that I'm wrong in something that I'm doing. It'll be like an excellent oil. It's not going to break my head. It's going to help me and make me better. It's going to be an excellent oil. Its aroma is going to improve my character and reputation. I will love that man. I will consider it a kindness, and I will pray for him and his calamities. Isn't that a great text of friendship? So if you ever bristle, if you bristle, or if you are short, or if you are abrupt with someone that has corrected you, you are not like David. Number 61, he had bold courage. We said we had to vacate this place by 3.30, right? <laughs> Central time, mountain time. Yes, I like that approach to time. Folks, it's only 10 o'clock in California. Amen. He had bold courage. He had bold courage. Number 61. Psalm 27. Does it start out well? The Lord is my light. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, in this will I be confident. Uh, ha, 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 uh. No, but I need the clause in front of that. 27. That's what you, See, I get scared when I get in the pulpit. Lose my mind with fear. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Though war rises against me, though a host comes against me, I'm not going to fear. My heart won't fear. I won't even fear on the inside. It's, not just that be, it's just not that I'm going to present this bold, courageous outside. I'm going to have a strong inside as well because my trust is in the Lord. Last Lord's Day, we sang Psalm 3, which said, Though ten thousands of enemies arise against me, he wasn't afraid of those enemies. David had bold courage. You should have bold courage. What are you facing this next week? What are you facing tomorrow? 
You may be even facing something today to be courageous, courageous like David was. You know Psalm 27, the first three verses. Look at Psalm 46. And the first three verses there are very similar. Psalm 46, except this explains a little bit more about how. Now back there in Psalm 27, if you went to verse 5, you had explained to you how you could be so courageous because in the time of trouble, God will hide you in his pavilion. You know, I don't want to describe a pavilion right now again, though I want to do it very badly. And I don't want to do it because I've done it so many times, I don't want you to think that I cannot think of something new to say. But the, the pavilion in an army where the king dwells, and not only do you get to go into the pavilion, and outside are the hosts of the Lord, all the armies of God, in tents, stretching as far as your eye can see in all directions, you get to go into the big tent with the pennants flying in the middle of the army, and not only into it, into the secret place of that tabernacle. Psalm 27.5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Psalm 46, I guess I told you anyway, but you didn't know it. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. He is not a God watching from a distance, as they like to sing. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear. This is not a question. This is a statement. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Let there be an earthquake, whether it's natural or political or military, it's not going to move me because God is a very present help in a time of trouble. He declared that he did not, would not fear what man could do to him. In Psalm 56 and Psalm 118, he made that statement that Paul quotes in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Remember, this young man ran to meet Goliath when he was about 18 to 20 years of age. Though he gave God the credit, he did run through troops and leap walls, as he describes in Psalm 18. By my God, I have run through a troop and leaped over a wall. We can even count it as boldness to ask Abiathar for the showbread for hungry men. That took some boldness to walk up to the priest of God and look over there at the, at the showbread, or ask the priest because you weren't even in that court of the Lord's house, and say, don't you have some bread here? You know, showbread? The showbread on the Lord's table? Cough it up. My, my men and I could eat it. You know, we haven't had women for three days. We're pretty holy. Aren't we just like you priests? Now, come, don't. This is not sacrilege. This is wisdom by David. We'll get to that. It's a, it's a trait coming. It's wisdom of David knowing that God loves mercy more than sacrifice. And Jesus Christ exonerated David for eating that showbread and understanding the mind of God better than the average person. Because, see, keeping that showbread just right was not the most important thing if a man was three days hungry. And the man was David, who loved God and was running legitimately from King Saul trying to kill him and he needs a little bit of sustenance, go ahead and eat the showbread. 
And Jesus exonerated him and told the Pharisees, if you had, if you had been to seminary, boys, and learned about David and what he did in eating the showbread, you would not have condemned my apostles for picking a little bit of corn on the Sabbath day. But that's boldness. Are you that bold? Was David stepping out on his own? No, he was stepping out on the character of God. Was he stepping out on the character of God that only he knew that's not in print? Well, he hadn't read Hosea 6.6 6 yet, and he hadn't read Proverbs 21.3 yet, but he knew the mind of God by inspiration because he was full of the Spirit. We have Proverbs 21.3, David eating the showbread, Hosea 6.6, 6, Matthew 12.7, Mark 2.27. So can you be bold in showing mercy? Amen. There was a time, and I've mentioned this to you recently, when I was a member of another church, and it, I was going to be ordained, and the fear was that if I was the pastor there, people wouldn't be allowed to take vacations anymore because he's just too strict. And I've, I've shared that with you recently. But what Bible principle comes to bear on that kind of thinking or that kind of a reputation that, uh, you know, when you write me and say that you're going to be gone for a week, I write back and say, have a great time. Right here. Right here. The bold courage of David to walk up to Abiathar and say, can we eat the showbread? That was boldness. He even had boldness to pray for his son's life in spite of God's terminal prophecy. Did God send Nathan in to say that the child's going to die? But he still went and prayed for seven days because he was bold with the Lord. And we're supposed to be bold with the Lord. And we know a little bit more about our relationship to the Lord than David did because we have the Lord Jesus Christ between us at God's right hand where we're told that he is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities and he is right there waiting to help us if we will go to God boldly. Boldness is not self-confidence. It is not irritating arrogance. It is total trust in God. You cannot have such boldness in God without confessing sins like David did because the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursueth. I know what time it is. Do you think I can do it? 62. 62. He exalted peace and unity. Four words, exalted peace and unity. What psalm would we go to first? 133. A very short psalm. The four words, exalted, peace, and unity. Are you a peacemaker? David was a peacemaker. How long did it take for him to make a deal with Abner, who had chased him for 10 years at least? Ah, a couple minutes. He made peace with Abner. How long to make peace with Amasa, who went with Absalom against David? Ah, a couple minutes. He, David was a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker? James chapter 3 says that the peacemakers are high in the kingdom of God. So do the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, where when you sense strife, conflict, enmity, trouble, do you make peace? When it involves you, do you make peace? When you've been offended, are you able to overlook it and make peace? When you've offended, do you think about it and go and make peace with the person you've offended? 
when you sense that two others are, are at each other? Do you make peace? Look at David, Psalm 133. Behold, listen, i got to say it that way because there's an exclamation point in our King James Bibles, and I believe the explanation, exclamation point should be there. That's why God is Jehovah and not Yahweh. There's no Yahweh in my King James Bible. I don't care what evidence you want to pull up about Yahweh. I think it's a ridiculous caricature against God. His name is Jehovah. Because my King James Bible says so. You say, you believe the Bible that much? <laughs> yes, and a, whole lot more than, and a whole lot more than that. Psalm 133. Behold... How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is a king. Does a king really care what the brethren are doing? If neighbors are squalling with each other and families are infighting and there's conflict and strife going on, how does it affect a king who sits on his throne and has his own household servants and the military at his disposal? He has a secret service there of the Cherethites, Pelethites, and Gittites. He's perfectly secure. Look at David. He cared about the peace of Jerusalem. And when you go to Psalm 1, everybody knows Psalm 122. If I say these words, you're going to recognize them so fast. I was glad when they, yeah, you know, you can finish it for me. But do you know the rest of that Psalm? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You just follow that down where you're supposed to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem because David wanted all those people getting along well like this verse right here because that's what pleases God. Every father, every mother in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you sit at your table, you want your family all at peace with each other. When there's infighting, sarcasm, ridicule, jesting, joking, cutting, hurting, anger, sullenness, hurt. No. Well, there's a God in heaven, and next Sunday we'll be at his table. We want to be at peace. Behold, this is the heart of David. This is David. Don't think about a sling and five stones and Goliath's head and nine feet, nine inches tall. Think about this. Number 62, he exalted peace and unity. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. God has adopted us, saved us, and given us an eternal inheritance in heaven. How in the world can we ever fight with each other? He commanded life forevermore. Life is too short, the blessings of God too great, the people of God too important for us to fight, be jealous, envious, strive with one another if we're going to be like David. Why did he want strange children removed from the church twice in Psalm 144? So that it could be a peaceful church. Get rid of those hypocrites that sneak into every church. David patiently waited for Abner to bring Israel and made peace with him and Amasa. David was committed and dedicated to peace even with his enemies. Look at Psalm 7. We want to get along with absolutely everyone that we possibly can. They can be for war. We're going to be for peace. Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces 
while there is none to deliver. I'm at verse 3 of Psalm 7. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Listen to the commitment of this man for peace and getting along with people, even his enemies. He taught his children and the nation of Israel that a good life was through making peace. He that would love life and see good days. Psalm 34, Peter quotes it, 1 Peter chapter 2. He that would love life. Do you want to love life and see good days? Make peace. When everything is at peace, you sleep better. I will lay me down in peace because only thou makest me dwell safely and I've taken care of all my relationships. David, oh, to be at peace. Sherry, to be at peace with everyone. To be at peace. We're for peace. They they can be for war. They can mess themselves up. We're not going to mess ourselves up. We want to be at peace. We want to love even our enemies. We want to pray for our enemies. I've told you one of the most therapeutic things you can do is pray for your enemies. David strongly wanted peace while others wanted war. Look at Psalm 120. I'm about to finish. You know Ahaz's sundial is coming after me. Psalm 120. This is such an important one. Is this mentioned in the New Testament? Endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? It is mentioned throughout the New Testament. Those churches had fighting in them. The household of Chloe had to write Paul and say Corinth was all messed up with strivings and fightings like little children in that church, comparing their gifts to each other. What ridiculous insanity. He's commanded life forevermore. We are talking about eternal life in heaven. We are talking about being adopted as the sons of God. I don't care if you opened your car door and nicked my car door. You say, do you want me to drive up next to it and do it? I probably need that right now. That is so, that is so small. Who cares? I can drive that vehicle with a nick in my door or I can get it repaired. You say, but wouldn't you make him pay for it? Uh, not unless he offered. Why fight about it? You say, are you serious? Why not? The discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. That's not a transgression against God. That's a transgression against my car door. He deferreth his anger. And it is, it is his glory to pass over transgression. It should be exciting to forgive somebody. I'll oh, forget about it. It's only a couple hundred bucks. A couple hundred dollars. Yes. We're talking about eternal life forever. We're, we're the... Sister, I know... <laughs> He's given us eternal life. We're the adopted sons of God. We have an eternal inheritance. Do you think $200 is going to make a difference when I stand before Jesus Christ? You say, but if you, did, if, you didn't take up, if you didn't take up for yourself, then you're just going to be a doormat and everybody's going to walk all over you. No, because I'll park in the trees next week. <laughs> Forget, you know what I meant. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Peace. Right. I thank you for having a peaceful church. We're a bunch of hotheads in here. Listen, when we read Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about the lions lying down with the lambs. I have to work hard to think about any lambs. I have to go through the church directory. (laughs) No, 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 no. 
we got a bunch of lions in here. This is like Daniel's lion's den. <laughs> Seriously. But you know we love each other. Why? The Spirit of God has filled us, and it's preached, and we're looking at it right now, and we're going to even be better, aren't we? We're going to love everyone. We're not going to hold grudges against anyone for anything. Lord, help us. We know that you, our Heavenly Father, loves us to come to your table, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, in perfect peace. Help us to have that perfect peace. Psalm 120, verse 6, My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. David had to be in Saul's court who hated him. David would be playing his harp, singing to soothe Saul. Thud! Next to his head, a javelin arrives. They want war. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let it be so. We're going to be for peace. Lord, help us. Peace is still one of God's highest callings for us even the New Testament. May the Lord bless us to learn these traits of David and to practice them.